Good news, everybody. You're Pexing with the Legends. We are your hosts from the Gamer Editing Team. My name is Eric, and I have a real microphone now. Woohoo! Uh, I'm Whitney, and you can call me Lumbago, and I am happy to be here. Just checking out my stats. I have like 230 something kills with Loba, which makes me a top 10,000 Loba. Oh, how many people do you think are playing Loba? 10,000? Oh <laughs> gotta be the top percentile i'm andrew i also go by finn p-h-i-n and uh get the gold red shield out of apex am i right everyone <laughs> well let's talk about it so um we are now in week four of season five uh we have our third hunt the enter the revenants this week so let's start by talking about that because uh it's fresh on all our minds we we all just played it and uh i'm pretty confused about some things <laughs> i'm just confused about some things that happen in the hunt itself and in the lore afterwards so i wanted to kind of get your guys take on it because uh it isn't exactly going where i thought it was or what i expected so um last week uh we had a bit of a cliffhanger uh, with Revenant showing up at Mirage's bar while they were all um, they were all talking about what the the plan was going to be moving forward, if they were all still on board, Watson has been injured, and uh, while they're all sort of debating if helping Loba is a good is still a good idea, Revenant showed up, uh, revealing that he knows what they're doing. Right. Uh, then we jumped right into the hunt. And this time we, uh, it's all around water treatment and the, the bases outside of it. And we start out in this sort of like shadow demon form, right? Mm -hmm. What did, that was a uh, pretty surprising to me, Whitney. What did you think of that? I mean, it was fun. That was a mechanic that we saw in the sort of Halloween event that they did last year when they first introduced us to who this revenant was. It kind of is like also more of a testament to the fact that we are in this sort of other world. And not that this can't happen in the other, in the world that we live in now, but just because it's like a revenant thing and these quests we sort of already understand take place in this other dimension, this alternate dimension that like is sort of run by revenant. Um, so I think it was a cool, interesting way to tie that in, but I, for the life of me, could not remember that I needed to melee the doors down instead of open them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Andrew and I just played it earlier today, I, you're supposed to destroy the eight totems to move on. That's sort of the first objective. And I think he and I spent several minutes just kicking all the doors down. Yeah, <laughs> it's too fun. When you have all that power, it's like, all right, let me just find all the nearest doors and destroy them. Uh, <laughs> I actually had to go back to destroy that first totem because you drop right in front of it. Uh, and then I was like, oh, we're actually supposed to destroy these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way that you move around and climb when you're in that shadow form is is a lot of fun. You're You're very fast. You climb very fast. You can jump far. But they put you in such a low profile with short buildings and – I feel like it, I needed something like in World's Edge where I could climb to the top of a skyscraper really fast or something to really feel that that power. Yeah. Scuttle uh, up to the rooftops and dominate yeah. those prowler creatures. There was a lot of them this time around, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. It seemed like there was a lot lot more prowlers. Um, but I, I liked that it was uh, unexpected and something different than last week, even if sort of the flow of it was exactly the same. You do one objective, you go and plant the artifact recovery digger device and then you escape on the ship 
I don't want to brag, but I chose caustic for this, not knowing what to expect. And I just put gas traps at the entrances to everything. And by the time they actually tried to go through them, they were dead. Oh, <laughs> five head. <laughs> With the winning strategy uh, in like, the hunts and yeah. in competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life Transferable skills. Tips. Apex life pro tip. <laughs> uh, probably um, my favorite part of the hunt this week was if you, um, after you plant the the digger, if you go up the rope and grab the devotion, it has a turbocharger. There's a gold devotion with a turbocharger, so no windup. And uh, I miss the turbocharger, man. Devotion was my gun of choice before they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. now it's it's been confined to the randomness of the gold drops. So yeah, but even even the more. gold devotion does not have a turbocharger. Yeah, the, so this was game. an altered altered. Uh, yeah. Devotion? Okay, yeah, cool. throw, throwback devotion. <laughs> what um, you... Yeah. Go ahead, Wendy. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, this is a little bit of outside of what we were getting to, but I, I think the last episode I said five treasure packs is kind of a lot to, like, have to unlock it um, because I really do have to log in five days. And, like, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, I kind of wasn't feeling it for a couple days. Yeah. And literally in my mind, I'm just like, oh, crap, I got to log in and do this stupid quest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's not any reason that I want to play a game. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. Yeah. I derailed what we were saying, but I, that no, was on no. my mind as we were talking about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know. Um, Andrew and I were both were a pack short. We had to do, oh. we had to play before we could do the hunt. Um, cause yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, I'll be honest. It is hard to log in every single day. And, and we were discussing earlier, Andrew, the, the reasoning behind them wanting you to come in every single day. You had a, an idea for the packs about making them more rare. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. I think if they just simply made them much, much more rare to come across, but you can stack them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a free day, you can grind the whole day and get the packs done for the week um, rather than having to do a sort of weird daily check-in every time. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's uh, obviously some pretty extenuating circumstances in the world right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, like Whitney, I'm, I'm finding it hard to, to find the time to log in every day to get my treasure pack. Uh, but there is, there is a catch-up. So you're not totally locked out of the content. Um, I mean, there's a catch-up if, if you want to pay for it, right? But yeah, if you that's the sort of, it. like, monetization strategy. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, without getting into the nuance of that, like, you understand the reasoning behind it, but it is kind of also expecting or asking a lot of players, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm also maybe asking too much and expecting my games to be totally free and never have to spend a penny to support the developers create them. Right. Yeah. Well, I am... Personally, I'm the type of person that loves to put money into the games I play, um, uh, especially free games if I, I like to invest into skins and stuff like that. So uh, I don't expect my games to be free, but I definitely have a very firm value limit in my head of like what I'm willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, a catch-up mechanic is not not really one of those things. It's more, <laughs> it's more along the lines of like cool skins, new yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I get that too. Yeah, but um, I, I think this hunt uh, was um, pretty much on, on par with last week. I think that it was there was an interesting twist with being in the shadow form. It didn't extend. I Part of me was kind of hoping every week would get longer and more complex. But mm-hmm. I think we're kind of seeing what to expect now for the rest of the season uh, in, in terms of, like, length and complexity. Um, 
but I also fully expect them to keep mixing it up every week to, for it to be a little bit different, a little bit unexpected. I mean, yeah. to be fair, like we are kind of maybe asking a lot for them to keep up a battle royale game to introduce all these new um, areas, zones, um, characters, mechanics, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, and to then on top of that, I just say, and also give us like a real PVE mode that's actually <laughs> a campaign focus and, you know, basically build another mini game inside of a game. <laughs> um, but that is my dream. So maybe we will see it eventually. Yeah, and then there's the work from home layer on top of that yeah, uh, for the, for that. development, right? Andrew, what are you gonna say? Oh, uh, I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean, essentially, my impression has been like about what I expect. You mm-hmm. know, not it hasn't necessarily been super disappointing or anything, but uh, definitely, you know, nothing has uh, dropped my jaw yet. It's just stuff here and there. That I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's worth buying for sure, and I'm interested in the overall story arc and thing. Yeah, yeah, and and. I don't expect the it to be much more longer or more complex, and I think that little details go a long way. Um, like for example, I saw the ship when the the ship that you escape on this week when it landed. I saw it come in and it knocked a bunch of the the rat uh, the prowlers back mm-hmm. off the ledge back into the ocean. And those oh, kind of wow. de- those kind of details are really cool, and it gives you a reason to play it again if you can if you think you might f- see something else or pick up on a detail you missed there there's a little bit of built-in replayability i think i think if they can start hiding more stuff around more reasons to look uh you know long and far and try and find more details i think that can help a lot um yeah i I, I totally agree i don't replayability like i did the first two over and over a bunch just to see you know, if the ghost flyers would have different gold options in the gold boxes they were carrying, I found that they did. And I also found that your timing mattered regarding whether or not you saw one or if they'd be in the right place for you to get them. So there is some replayability. And I totally agree with you about the, uh, it would be nice to have some Easter eggs scattered about. And they may actually have those just planned for later ones. Mm-hmm. But as of now, I haven't found too much, but still enough to, like you said, go back and see what other kind of cool things I can find here. Yeah, I still think that they need to add difficulty settings, uh, speed run options, some reason to replay these things if we're only getting, you know, a 10-minute mission once a week. Or Mm -hmm. 10 minutes is the limit. I suspect most people are completing these in just three or four minutes and then never playing them again. Um. But I still, you know, like I've been saying, I appreciate that they're trying something so unique. So I'm having fun with it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the lore that we get after the fact. Uh, Last week, uh, I think uh, Andrew pointed out something that bothered me as well, that Wraith was playable in the mission, but should not have been from a story standpoint because she she wasn't there, right? The part of the team went into the mission and the other part of the team was her and Octane on the date. Mm-hmm. So those things didn't line up. I saw more things that didn't line up this week, uh, technically. But let's talk about um, uh, what happens in that lore piece. Whitney, can you give us a quick summary? Well, so it's told from Octane's point of view. And what we sort of seriously happening here is they're trying to figure out who this like snitch is, number one, who told... Um, who told Revenant where everybody was, right? So that's like one big piece of it, who's the snitch, right? 
Um, and then there's the portal situation, which I didn't fully follow what exactly was happening there, but Octane was debating whether to follow everyone else or to stay with Watson. Um, and, you know, we already know that Octane spilled all the beans to, uh, about what was going on to, to the person that he was spying with, but then he promised to get Bangalore's autograph. That's happened in the last one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, and we see in this mission here that we're looking for some other artifact piece as well. We still know that uh, Watson is not, like, healed. Um, but, you know, from my point of view, I feel like this is leading up to something, that the next one is going to really clarify a lot of these still open questions um, about what 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 this is all for, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, coming from Octane's point of view, and Octane is not, we've, we've kind of said, like, established already, not exactly the brightest crayon in the box, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're sort of at his point of view, getting his side of the story, and it's not even fully clear that he understands what's going on. Right. Um, but I'm sure maybe there's some theorist out there who's, like, able to put everything together, um, overarching, going back to Titanfall 1, some nuanced thing that somebody saw in a corner 10 years ago. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of the way it works, right? I mean, I think, like, the weirdest thing about this to me is that it takes place in an alternate reality, and sometimes I'm not, like, crazy about, like, when when games and shows do that because they have all these conflicting timelines. Um, But I also kind of understand that if you don't do that, you're sort of confined to only telling one story in a lot of ways or one sort of version of events. So it'll be interesting to see what this brings about and maybe even to see how it how it um, ties into what's happening in present day modern Apex Legends uh, as we stand today, right? Like in yeah. the um, main Kings Canyon World's Edge. Yeah. Um, I think that there there's some reveals we get and then there's a lot of questions that get answered. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch on some of the things that I am unsure about and kind of get your guys' point of view on that. Um, so when Revenant reveals himself, uh, as Whitney pointed out, he says that a little birdie told th- told him about their meeting and what they were talking about. So um, we have this question now of who is the mole, right? Who mm-hmm. Who is leaking to Revenant what their plan is? Um, and then somebody asks Revenant w- what he wants, and Loba... Uh, says that her theory is that he wants to take down the syndicate and stage a coup. And I'm wondering what, what exactly that means. Well, we understand that Revenant was sort of a product of like uh, manufacturing and that his sort of discovery with the knife in his neck um, that kind of like made him realize he was a simulacrum mm-hmm. um, left him on like a very, very angry, like that made him very, very upset, very angry, right? So it's probable that he's against, you know, just all of it. Like he doesn't want to be that. He already hates humans anyway. That's why he calls them skin bags, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and even in this this world, this universe, like he says like, uh, I think one of the lines in that is just like, now why would I want to go up there b- back to where all the skin bags are or something like that? Um, yeah, so the part of the suspicion is that he uh, wants to go into this alternate, what I keep calling Halloween Town universe, <laughs> and deal with that version of him, right? But but as Revenant explains in this lore piece, he has no interest in fighting the other Revenant or taking him down. And he's he's like, why would I want to go where I'm in? the king of the skin bags. So he, he actually doesn't care what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
um, but he also doesn't know why Lova is collecting all these pieces. So while he has figured out what they're doing, he doesn't understand that Loba is collecting these pieces to trade for the information to actually kill him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, because he's, he tells Loba, you know, I, the only reason I'm letting you live is because I think that your vendetta against me is adorable. And if you, right. and if you don't care about that anymore, if you're off doing whatever in this alternate universe, then maybe I should just kill you now because he doesn't understand that the whole reason we're collecting these artifacts and doing all this is to kill him. Right. Right. That's my understanding of it. Is that how you guys took it too? Yeah. I, I was, I'm still curious about his actual motives. Cause I was like, Oh, we're going to get a big reveal here. And then he kind of rolled up and did some bad guy stuff, said some bad guy <laughs> lines and then slithered out of there. Right. So it's still not super clear. Right. Cause in my head, I'm like, okay, he, he probably has a vendetta against Hammond. There's no doubt that the legends aren't desiring to cooperate with Hammond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, at some point, I feel like they're going to end up helping each other in some way. And apparently they're, you know, um, tame enough to talk to each other. So I, I still don't know. Long story right. short is I, I'm I'm left scratching my head a little bit. Uh, and it didn't really take the direction I thought it would, but I'm still interested yeah, I still think the characters, you know, are nuanced and complicated and they all have their own motivations. And now we're kind of in this murder mystery clue game in the Apex Legends world. So it's it's got a lot of, you know, loose ends that I want to stick around to see tied up and see how it plays out. But I don't know anything. I'm just clueless at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. Revenant comes in and acts threatening, kind of lingers around Watson, eventually jumps up on the table where she's resting, makes everybody uncomfortable. And then uh, out of nowhere, Bangalore, Bloodhound, and Gibraltar portal in. And <laughs> when that happened, it was it was surprising to me that they weren't there. I guess I assumed that they were. I did too. Yeah. I was like, what? And I think the other episodes, right? So that's what I thought. I thought that when they rescued Watson, that at least Bangalore was there with her. Yeah. Cause she's like a big ringleader too, aside from Loba. And also I guess it explains too, cause during the whole creepy sequence, I was like, why are they letting Revenant bully them? There's like a ton of them. They could just defeat Revenant easy. He's just a guy with a totem ability. Right. And then they portal in and save the day. So I was like, okay, so I guess we were dealing with an incomplete group the whole time. Yeah, so I imagine the way we're supposed to take it is that when Watson got hurt, part of the team rescued her and got her out while canonically Bangalore Bloodhound and Gibraltar finished the mission and retrieved the artifact. Yeah. So like last week's hunt, those are the three characters that were actually doing the mission. So they come back, stand off with Revenant. He raises a totem. uh, And then Bangalore tells Octane not to touch it. What's that about? Mm. Do you have any theories, Whitney? (laughs) Well, (laughs) theoretically, he raises a totem and you'd become a shadow character. And uh, they don't want that to happen, obviously. Does that corrupt your soul? Maybe it mm-hmm. maybe it has lasting health effects. <laughs> like Julian or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do sort of feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I feel like there's like a trope in a lot of like shows and movies that like, uh, oh, well, I'm going to just use this this drug or this like uh, thing. But then the more you use it, the more it sort of starts to consume you. So mm. maybe that's what they're going for there. Like if you use the totem too many times, like you'll be corrupted forever or something. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not... I also. Sorry. Go ahead, Eric. I'm not too sure of the lore around the totems. We have a we have a lot of totem stuff going on this week, both that piece and the lore, and then with the totems we need to destroy to escape shadow form in in the mission. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm kind of a little bit confused about what the totems are meant to be in in the context of the story. Right. And then I wonder if Octane at the end, because he has a monologue, but it's obviously wrapped up in the... Uh, comedic conversation was of unconscious Watson but at the end did he take the totem was the totem still there or did he just kind of go rogue I I wasn't really sure on that either so that was the last piece that really confused me Bangalore tells Octane he needs to wait until the next night to go on the next mission which is the mission that we just played except that when everybody leaves Octane has a debate with himself well he has a debate with with Watson who's actually not responding (laughs) to him and Octane ultimately decides that he's going to do whatever he wants and he's going to go start the fight on his own. But that's not what happened in the mission we played. Right. So, so it's almost, it's all it, to me, it's starting to feel like the lore that we're getting each week is not very connected to the missions that we're going on. Yeah. There's some problems there for sure. Uh, Maybe It'll it's be... not supposed to be taken too literally, but I don't know. I feel like they could tie tie that in since they've half been doing it anyways. It'll be interesting, and I also think this is very respawn of them to seed clues later than we expect those clues to be seeded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we took, like, assuming that you didn't read any of the data mines or anything, you would have had no clue who the little girl was at the end of the trailer with Revenant. Um, and you would not have gotten that information until like legitimately like eight weeks later. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's entirely possible that we're like trying to put these clues together and they haven't given us the one clue to help us really understand the trajectory of what exactly is going on here. Um, but yeah, I mean, the portal too was like a question, and maybe it was in there, and you can tell me if I, I maybe didn't realize where they were portaling from. But you know, when we watched the Halloween trailer, it was basically somebody took like the wrong portal and portaled into the underworld from the above, like the other world, right. like the the real world, I guess is what we can call it. Um, <laughs> real world was Halloween world. Um, <laughs> so my question could be, you know, is that where they were coming from? Is there some reason they went up to the other world? Um, you know. I don't know, unless I just completely missed it. They were portaling from like a block away. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I, I think in the story itself, just if you read each chapter of the story, that there is I don't know if you would call it inconsistencies, but there's some there's some vague plot points. But mm-hmm. on top of that, now that the hunts are now pushed past the story, right? Because last week's lore and this week's lore happen back to back in like what you would say in real time. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas the, the mission that we went on this week would have happened a week later, or I'm sorry, right. the, the next night would have happened. Right. Okay, so, yeah. so now that the gameplay narrative is ahead of the written lore, yes, it's getting to be confusing in a way that makes me feel like they're no longer connected. Well, I, what I want to say is that Octane didn't, wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go 
take part in this action and then one on the mission, maybe he's actually doing something straight up elsewhere. Uh, but wasn't but, but Octane was playable. Exactly. That's why I'm like, maybe the mistake is that they're not consistent with who is playable and who isn't because we've already seen kind of weird issues with that in the past. So maybe that's all there is to it. And we'll see that Octane has done something maybe with Hammond or something else. And that's where he went rather than, and they, for whatever reason, just let him still be playable just for the sake of have, I guess, player options being able to do it. But mm-hmm. it's weird to me that they would make Watson not playable and right. half commit to that sort of immersion. So I don't know. That's kind of my theory, but we'll see, I guess, next week. Yeah. Now, what Bangalore told Octane to do, what his actual mission is, is to go, I guess, continue that date, right? <laughs> because she, because Bangalore wants some kind of physical evidence to, um, uh, as she put it, to out uh, Loba or to expose, to expose Loba, she mm-hmm. says. So uh, I don't know how she expects that. That to me seems like a thread that's just going to sort of end. Um, and maybe the whole point of of having that moment alone with Octane where he decides to do his own thing is just to tell us that um, he's not going back to Yoko. He's not going to try to resolve that or get evidence against Loba. Like the story's going to keep moving in a different direction now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um that that's pretty much the questions I had about it. I uh, I'm getting more confused as it goes. <laughs> is sort of my impression right now. Um, yeah, and it seems like. It'll... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say maybe it'll turn out to be a good thing where it's like Game of Thrones and every there's gonna be a million different storylines happening at once. It'll get crazy confusing, and then it'll all end in a disappointing finale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, where are you going with this? We don't talk about Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's behind us now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it seems like we're all a little bit confused about some details. Um, and I hope that, that, that those things get cleared up um, as we One go. One more fun fact, yeah. by the way. Uh, I almost didn't notice, but in the dialogue scene where there's no voice acting, of course, it's just text that you're reading, there is a heart monitor uh, in the background. So oh. it's supposed to represent Watson. If you turn up your volume a lot, you'll be able to hear in the background some subtle noises. One of that, one of those is like the life support that Watson's on. So kind of a cool little oh, detail cool. they added in. Yeah, definitely, I, that is super cool. I also liked the background at the beginning of the chapter where Octane is holding a selfie stick. <laughs> I think we've seen Octane with a selfie stick before, maybe, but I, I just yeah, lo- he does I like it in a jump animation. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And I think a loading screen uh, has him. Maybe yeah, it was a just loading the loading screen. screen but... there's, there's multiple instances of him with the selfie stick. Pretty funny. It's probably GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. So we're actually going to take a quick break because we have a very special guest. Um, Daz from Team Soar is here. We're going to talk to him about his uh, Apex career. He's a content creator and a streamer and a competitive Uh, Apex player, so uh, we'll be right back in just a few with Daz. Hey, everybody. We are back uh, with Daz. Daz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You are actually our first interview guest, so I appreciate you being here. How are you doing? Good, good. Good, man. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got involved with Apex? Sure. Um, I guess we can go back from the beginning. So I'm actually a, a Battlefield guy initially 
And of course, you know, Apex kind of came out of nowhere with a surprise uh, banger of a game. And th this was around the time where I was playing a lot of Battlefield 5, and I was kind of going back and forth constantly through Apex. And as we know, Battlefield 5 has that bit of a rough, rough history currently. So, uh, you know, even though I was kind of playing Apex on the side, it was a game that just kept drawing me back. And I had a lot of friends, such as a good friend of mine, Fireborn, who even playtested the game. He wasn't allowed to tell me uh, that at the time. He was like, there's going to be a game that's really going to shake <laughs> things up. And I was like, you know what? <coughs> I'll trust you on that. We'll kind of see what happens. And so that's kind of where my intro to Apex kind of came from. And of course, my relationship with EA. Luckily, you know, Apex is an EA game, so it kind of works that way. So that's a positive. Mm -hmm. Amen. Cool. And um, tell us a little bit, too, about how you got involved with Soar as well. We'd love to know that. Sure. Not a problem. So I actually ran my own team in, in Battlefield. It was called Ascend. We did a lot of projects with EA. We did a lot of uh, big initiatives and things with them. And I, at some point, I was like, you know what? I really got to focus on me. I got to focus on my own uh, creative drive, whether it was streaming, content, the whole nine yards. And I kind of asked myself, I was like, well, you know, you know what I do? I'm just going to branch out from my own thing that I made. It was literally my baby. And I said, you know what? I really need to play other games. I need to branch out from just you know, Battlefield, and I need to go into something like Apex that has a larger audience. And, you know, it, it, for me, I, I kind of look at myself as a small guy, you know, even though um, I'm still growing and learning a whole lot in the scene itself. So when I look at, like, what Soar is, initially I was looking at tons of orgs and everything. I, I had a lot of offers from a lot of big teams, and I won't name them because, you know, there's a lot of offers from what they were offering to me. But I had a friend who was in Soar, actually, and they said, you know what, I, I recommend you over that you try them out. And the reason why is because my basis from the Battlefield community really is deep-rooted into montages. And that's where Soar's beginning really is as well. As you know, their basis is in Call of Duty montages. Of course, they mm -hmm. do a whole lot more with Lifestyle, Apex, Fortnite, um, the whole nine yards. But initially when I was brought on, it was signed on as Battlefield with the idea that I would branch off. Um, with that, you know, I, obviously on my Twitter handle, it says Soar General Manager. So probably the next question I assume you guys would have is how in the world does that happen? <laughs> yeah. right, honestly, exactly. <laughs> honestly, I don't really know. It's not like I really ask for something like that. But if there's something I am passionate about when it comes to a gaming scene is making a positive change in influence. The, when, since I had ran my own organization and I had a lot of relationships with EA and a lot of publishers, um, I knew that I could do something bigger in SOAR. And a lot of offers before I joined SOAR were giving me a position such as a talent manager or a general manager. But at the time, that's not something I wanted, strictly because I wanted to focus more on content, uh, content side of things like growing my stream, competing in Apex, you know, really grinding, practicing on my aim, things of the nature. But there's something that just keeps pulling me back into management, I guess, <laughs> pulling me back into the whole scene. And I don't, I don't really know what it is, but... When I, when I saw it in Soar, and I, you know, huge shout out to uh, Mac and Crude, is that the reason why I decided to say, you know what, I want to do something bigger in Soar, is that not only were they willing to give me the ability to do it, but they, they saw the willingness in me, and I saw that Soar was willing to put creators first and to take it to the next level. Because, I mean, Soar, even though it's a bigger team now, really has started from humble beginnings to being just a Call of Duty clan of trickshot kids, essentially to what it is today, taking things to a larger and bigger level, which is pretty exciting across the board. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the day-to-day -day look like to you as a manager, as a general manager? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, I still juggle a lot. So I still have my day job, just as an example. I literally still work 9 to 5.30. I live wow. in Manhattan, wow. the craziness. 
Um, I still have a lot of my office supplies over here. You probably see like a Battlefield 5 thing, a bag, <laughs> my camera equipment. Uh, it's behind the green screen because I'm still recording and stuff like that. So don't worry, it's not too much of a mess. It's my camera stuff that we'll pull out <laughs> with a tripod over there. So that's all it really is. You know, we pull it out. But I mean, I work 9 to 5.30. I still have my day job and I still juggle things. Um, so it's like 9 to 5.30. I work for a real estate company, Human Resources. So that's kind of where I get a lot of my... I guess you could say general manager experience would kind of put me <laughs> in, a, in a positive edge to bring something like that to the gaming scene. And then right afterwards, like at this moment, it's like six o'clock, go hop into scrims, go, uh, go stream, um, things of that nature. So it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess, say the least, because afterwards, it's like, okay, where does the store general manager part take in? Well, during my day job, I'm literally juggling meeting for meeting. Now, obviously, my day job doesn't isn't necessarily fully aware of that, but I'm good at what I do. <laughs> Let me go to say I'm good at what I do. So when they need me, I'm balancing. Like, I'm hopping into one call and into another. My boss calls me in my day job says, I need this. I'm like, I'll get it to you in, like, 30 minutes. And then, you know, I'm reaching out to Crude and Mac. I'm like, I'll get you that spreadsheet in a hot minute. Like, I'm going to reach out to people within the team. Uh, this is how they're doing performance-wise. Let me look at the analytics. Let's look at the YouTube side of things. Are we going to upload? Let's hop into a quick call. But it's a constant juggle. And it's mostly because I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, even with my day job in human resources, I literally kind of play a jack-of-all-trades. And I kind of provide that to SOAR Gaming as well. So I really work on the performance management side of things, to helping with the YouTube side of things, to helping give input on the decision and language on things that we're working on. So it's a, it's quite a lot. <laughs> Do you sleep? <laughs> that is a, uh, a solid question. Um, my fiance <laughs> is extremely patient with me, to say the least. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a blessing that she is so, so patient because, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, once they finish the stream, I'm trying to get a little bit of time to wrap things up, and we try to schedule our time and days uh, together, just to make sure that we're um, that we're spending time together. I yeah. mean, we we have a lot of crazy and big plans. I mean, you know, there's there's no way I can keep up this uh, momentum forever where I'm working the day job, sore gaming, and then streaming like all at once. The only reason I feel like I'm able to do it is because I'm relatively young for now. Kind of kind of juggle it and try to survive. But for the most part, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely difficult. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in the long run, the uh, the day job has been luckily blessed us. We actually purchased a house last year in Tennessee, and the reason why we did that is I got a friend out there who's a content creator. I have a content creator who was from New York, moved into the house to kind of caretake the home, mm -hmm. um, literally charging him almost nothing for the house. <laughs> but it's it's a story where once I'm ready to leave New York and we're ready to start a family gaming, streaming, and all that is going to be full-time at that right, point. Right, right, right. Which it will be doable in a city like that with the money uh, that we have saved. So, I mean, it's not like we're like, oh, we're loaded, we're loaded. No, it took years and years of grinding, hard work, and just juggling situations like this, um, you know, even living in the city. So, yeah. when you say, like, take it back to the beginning, even Whitney, uh, <laughs> you know, I live in the city, uh, just so you guys know, um, Finn and Jasper, that we met, and obviously we went to like a what was it? What was it called? The uh, Casey Neistat runs that. Yeah, that 368 event. Gaming Studio, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, 368 Gaming, and it's it was really awesome, like being able to be there. And I know the area so well because actually, what brought me to New York is like, why would a gamer ever try to set up in New York? <laughs> I came here for I came here for musical theater, man. I, I was <laughs> Broadway and off Broadway, and Dude. I was doing a Broadway gig, and then I reached a point where one day. Um, I was doing a, a Broadway gig, gig for uh, 
you guys know the show Wicked at the yeah. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, So I played Bach, and at the time I was a little thinner. You know, obviously quarantine, you kind of fluff out a little. <laughs> <laughs> but, quarantine uh, effect. <laughs> yeah, the quarantine effect before and after. <laughs> but, um, you know, they had me stand in for a, a Girl Scout a, a event where they, instead of bringing the actors and having them perform three times in a day, they would have us perform in the morning on their behalf. So that was – but. Even though the money was decent, it, I came to a, a roadblock where I was like, man, I should just do YouTube streaming and this stuff more full time. And, well, I guess I can say I'm not really disappointed. <laughs> what a crazy yeah. path. Yeah, it's so fast. The, the, the unfortunate part when we really look at the, uh, the world right now, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who do a lot of shows. Um, and it's just like, man, if, if I was doing theater right now, what kind of scary situation would, would we be in? You yeah. Know? What would you even do? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because you know right now everything's virtual. Even if we're having this meeting, we're virtual right now. Awesome podcast, by the way. <laughs> you <guys are> great. <laughs> wow, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned uh, that you had a musical theater background because I was actually a classically trained trumpet player before <laughs> going into this this industry and everything like that. So all of my colleagues are finding ways to adapt to to this sort of situation we've got because of the pandemic. So. I, I definitely know how that is, and it's it's definitely a, a weird feeling and a weird situation for people in the performative arts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's interesting. Tangentially, I was in film, but we're all gravitating towards games because it's something that we can we can s- still support ourselves with virtually from home. You know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But so I would love to talk to you a little bit more about competing in you know competitive Apex and your sort of thoughts on the comp scene and how it's evolved over the last, you know, give or take a year, right? Um, And what are you excited for that's coming up as well? So being competitive is something that I've always been really passionate about. I literally even spend like 30 minutes a day just practicing my aim on a – you guys probably heard of Kovacs, but like, oh, man, that guy's Mm -hmm. Kovacs out of his mind. (laughs) (laughs) I put put so many hours in Kovacs and just trying to refine that craft, you know, and – it's an interesting conversation. I feel like I have a lot of insight in terms of like apex competitive because I feel like it's a scene that can really go really, really far. But the struggle is obviously that it's a battle royale. I find it very interesting that we don't see teams like FaZe, Clan, or Hunter Thieves investing into it. But at the same time, it's really hard, especially now where you look at a battle royale and you question, well, you know, if, if we're gambling on a team in terms of the performance, how can they guarantee that they're going to win because it's a battle royale? Well, you know, luckily with Apex, you know, you do have different aspects where you have team comp synergy, and we see great teams like TSM able to clutch out more consistent wins. Uh, granted, recently, you know, they've been kind of etched out, but they're still up there in the top performers. I think Apex com- competitively has a really bright future. It reminds me so much of, like, the movement of Battlefield. And, and also, the interesting part about Apex in general is that it was built upon Respawn, which was a developer that developed the first Call of Duty which is a game, the only Call of Duty I have ever touched was the first Call of Duty. And I can kind of get the hints and feel of that game in there, which I, you know, find fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I guess the future of Apex, if they keep on with it and they keep producing these tournaments, I feel like a lot of the momentum was lost because of COVID-19, but they're still pushing it because of the the online virtual tournaments and everything, which which is really cool. And I hope that they continue on with it because we see it happen with Fortnite. And I guess the, the really the biggest thing we have to ask is, you know, Fortnite, 
really struggles with their com their competitive scene. Um, where because it's like, do we cater to the hardcore audience or do we cater cater to the casuals? Apex is is a pretty hardcore game, when, and I know you would know Whitney just playing it. That it, it's it's not necessarily the easiest game, you know, <laughs> but, but it does have a fantastic pinging system. It does it's very intuitive, but when it starts getting super complex, it gets really difficult very quickly. So I feel like if the professionals, when the whole scene take it very seriously, such as what you see the sword creators, where you see TSM, if they helmet and they bring a huge level of professionalism that I feel like is lacking in Fortnite. And the reason I feel like that's lacking in Fortnite in general is because of the age. <laughs> you see a lot of Fortnite kids go off, badmouth. Uh, you know, Fortnite, when it's a great game, it's doing amazing things. But you see them bashing, saying it's a, it's a, it's a bad game. It's not doing very well. They don't listen. Mm -hmm. They don't listen. It's like, well, you know, we saw the same thing kind of happen in Apex for a little while. And a lot of those creators kind of moved on to Valorant. But a lot of the Apex creators still here and that are competing, I'm noticing that this, the scene seems to be maturing. And it mm. seems to be growing a lot more organically and I hope that continues to happen as long as EA is still willing to back it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that was a great sort of contrast there between like the sort of Fortnite situation too. And I also love that you called out the sort of difference between the catering to a casual player base and a competitive player base because I really feel like that's one of the things that keeps Apex exciting um, in a lot of ways that, you know, they're sort of thinking about that as they go along. Uh, so I thought that that was a pretty cool insight um, what are your thoughts on the current season? I think the current season is probably the best that it's, uh, that it's ever been, to be quite honest. I think that Apex is really nailing a lot of things where they, you know, obviously reduce muzzle flash, create a great character. They revamp uh, the maps in a lot of great and unique ways. I think that they're heading in the right direction as long as they keep building from here and they keep engaging. It's like they've got, they've got a great balance, excuse me, of um, keeping the casual audience here and then keeping the pros super engaged with whatever they're grinding for, the ALGS tournaments or like what we're doing right now, GLL scrims. So hmm. as long as they keep up this momentum, they keep funding it and they keep up with the changes that the community really cares about, I think the game is going to be in a place where, you know, years from now we're going to say Apex is a staple. Because hmm. the same thing is going to happen with Valorant. You know, it's, it's like you draw the comparison, Valorant struggles with the same things that I see. Um, the pros are going to tear it apart. And a lot of the Apex pros that went over from Apex to Valorant, you see them over there still tarnishing the name. Um, I think that Valorant has a bright future, if I were to compare it direct apples to apples with Apex, is that it's going to struggle. There's going to be imbalances. There's going to be things that they say they're going to deliver upon, but they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be perfect, because even CSGO, when it was first created, wasn't perfect at the start. So the question is, you know, just as long as Apex doesn't necessarily abandon the thought process of this game whenever it comes out on a new console, I think it's going to be great. I think that organizations like Soar will continue to invest and really care about the future of this game as long as the developers are still also invested in its future. Um, I get hit up t so much by uh, independent people. And the thing is, I try to keep me Soar general manager and also competitive player separate you know and of course the <laughs> first thing that happens is when i play with anybody's like oh can i get signed to soar what can i do like, if we're gonna, if we're gonna uh, play we're just gonna play okay <laughs> like we're gonna we, if we want to play the tournament we're just gonna play the tournament if we're gonna do rank we're gonna do rank i'm not gonna be your gateway to get signed so yeah but people even before this call i literally got a call or a question from somebody somebody i just randomly met was doing ranks like hey how do we create a good gaming resume what do we need to do and it's like i know it's one of your questions here is like what are your advice to streamers or people to get recognized is really 
Well, you don't, you don't really focus on trying to get recognized. You really just focus on your craft and focus on growing your own platform and your own, your own brand. I always tell people, by the time a team is ready to pick you up, you don't necessarily need the team anymore. The mm. only reason you should join a team is that you're looking for that environment where you find community. So if there's a community you enjoy and love and you feel like you'd be a good fit, then by all means continue to go for that org, whether it's TSM, FACE, SOAR, Rogue, I don't know, the list goes on in terms of organizations that you can love and go for. But if you're looking for that quick uh, fix and grind, it just doesn't really happen in the scene. You can join a top tier organization um, and then say, I'm gonna get a million views now on my Twitch or YouTube. And then if people are not watching you today, they're not magically going to start watching you tomorrow. All the work you put into is what you build for it. And why I say I feel like a smaller creator is that, you know, people try to pigeonhole you into a game. If I stream Battlefield 1, Battlefield 5, I get 50 to 100 concurrent viewers. If I stream Apex, I'm like 20 to 30, if not <laughs> sometimes 10. And it's <laughs> like, well, it's like it's getting people because, you know, people who love Battlefield love that grittiness and they love that realism. But Apex is like, oh, it's too cartoony. Don't want to don't want to <laughs> watch it. But there's an audience there. And when you branch out into a new category, you have to make sure that, well, if you stick with it, you're going to find something. And I feel like s some days I find something, all of a sudden I pop up to 60. I'm like, what is the difference from today? Honestly, you can't really predict waves like that. You just keep grinding and keep doing it. It's like when you saw Jim Carrey do a bunch of comedies and he did his first drama. And, you, you know, nobody wa would watch Jim Carrey. The question is, well, oh, I don't watch Jim Carrey for dramas. I'm not going to watch. It's probably bad. But if you stick with it, you'll branch out. You'll grow. And it's just going to take time and dedication. So really the biggest advice, time, dedication, and just do what you need to do. You know, you, 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 there's uh, no questions about it. If you're going to succeed, you'll succeed. And if you're not, well, you need to go back to the drawing board and see what you need to do to, to grow and evaluate from it. But seriously, you're going to give us all uh, sore contracts after this, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Would you we'll say – I feel uh, it under the table. <laughs> I'll hook them up. I'll, I'll, send them a, I'll send you the contract over right now. But you're <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my agent look at it. <laughs> so you would say you're sort of the Jim Carrey of Twitch then, right? <laughs> that would be great. That's what I'm taking away I from think, this. I think I have way too many dad jokes. I, I feel like my humor is way too <laughs> Never uh, too many. Uh, I would love to know some up-and-coming creators, be it sore or beyond, who you think that we should be paying attention to or watch. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be limited to Apex, just people you think are interesting that you're excited about. In terms of creators, I feel like yeah, the, yeah. the biggest creators that I love to see are not necessarily those that are even popping off of views, are those that are smaller, but I look at their chat engagement and they're growing. I'll give an example. Um, you probably know It's Timmy and Apex, right? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. We followed each other pretty early on, and I remember hosting him when I was playing Battlefield, and I saw him play Apex because he has a friend that I know, Bronzy, who plays mm -hmm. with him and now is a part of, like, the Golden Guardian. Mm -hmm. uh, Timmy back then was only averaging, like, 20 or 30 viewers, and I saw it, and I was like, man, this guy's going to blow up. And the <laughs> only reason why is that he was still on regardless if it was 20 or 30 people watching or if there's now what he has 500. So it's mostly seeing the people who are small because, you know, doing this long enough where I ran a team in Battlefield, whether it's sore, it's so easy to kind of just see a smaller creator and you can tell when somebody just has a passion and the drive and they're going to do something with it. Um, I mean, you know, I, I always try to take that own advice and like do my own grind, but then I end up on the management side of things, like watching, <laughs> you know, so I, like I've seen it many, many times before, but really that effort is just seeing somebody. I guarantee all of you guys can think of somebody or anybody who watches this podcast 
where you look and evaluate and you think, oh, you know, there's that one guy who's really grinding. But if honestly, if they just keep at it over the course of, let's say, a few months, six months to a year, that person com- could be completely different. I've mm-hmm. seen people who I've recruited to teams at 500 subscribers and then a, a year or two or even five years from now, all of a sudden they're at 50K to 100K. Mm-hmm. It's really not a matter of, well, am I going to get lucky? It's like everyone's going to get lucky. It's just a matter of time before you actually get lucky. Mm. Mm-hmm. Some people may take two years. Some people may take five, you know? Mm. It really depends. As long as you're That's in it. You stay in it long <laughs> enough. People will know who you are. Trust me. That is so awesome. It's so good to hear from you and your perspective on all of this. Uh, I think our listeners are really going to appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today about all this and all your experiences. Um, Do any of the co-hosts have anything you want to ask? You have any questions you've been holding back? Yeah. um, When you talked about the the support for Apex uh, compared to other competitive games, I find as a spectator, I wanted to get your input on this, uh, as a uh, spectator experience, it's so much easier to see the narratives unfold throughout a match or or throughout a tournament in a game like Apex. And uh, I find compared to something like a... In Overwatch, um, it's a lot easier to watch and absorb and, and understand what's going on in the games. Do you find that to be the case as well? Well, you know, that's really glad you brought that up because it's this feedback I've always given to to Battlefield. And I will talk about Battlefield 1 because that's, you know, my NDA kind of lifted from it. But whenever I was giving feedback to Battlefield 1 back in the day, the question is how – it's so difficult to follow when you're seeing 32 people versus 32 and you're like, how, who do you follow? Who is the star of the show? The reason why battle royales are so popular now is that the narrative, even for, you know, like if you were to ask your grandmother or grandfather or anybody who has no concept of video games, just to instantly start watching, they'll say, there's a number of people alive. They have one life. Will they survive? You know, the, the story of a battle royale is very simple where it comes to something like Overwatch, where I agree 100% uh, with you, uh, Jasper, where... The question is like, oh, what does that ability do? What just happened? They reset. Where are they at now? It's like it's hard to get a game where you have a reset timer where you start to feel, I guess, quote-unquote, tension. It's why CSGO is so popular. When you know you have one life and you're able to track the lives of each individual person and see them clutch out a moment. When you have a respawn system like Overwatch or even Battlefield, because I would have loved to see Battlefield competitive in its day, but it's so hard to commentate. And like, if you were to even commentate something like it, you're like, oh my God, there's six people for six people. They all die, but they respawn and they're back over on A objective. <laughs> like, what do you mean they're back on A? They're, they're back on A, why? Well, has the ticket system worked? Did, did they win? Did they lose? And most of the people, like I guess grandparents will say, well, but, well, honey, uh, I mean, they just, they just respawn. So did anybody win? <laughs> but it's so simple for anybody to watch like a story and even for yeah. content. When you post it up on, you know, YouTube, you know, when you look at the the narrative that somebody's able to create, and there's so many great Apex content creators. There was one where I was just, I came across, I can't remember the name right now, I wish I did, where all he does is just create a story. He's like, so guys, I hopped into a round, I look around me, and there's these noobs. And he's like, I'm going to follow them the rest of the round and see what happens. You know, so that's, so, that's so interesting. And that was definitely the, yeah. the character and voice he ensued. But that's an interesting story. You know, you've already let, laid the narrative. You know, and like what that's supposed to be compared to like Overwatch or um, let's say, for example, Battlefield or even Call of Duty where you have that respawn system and there's just not a story because a story gets reset after every life. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, if you try to force that mentality into Call of Duty or Battlefield or Overwatch, 
it definitely changes the pace of the whole game. Um, you know, you, you want those second-to-second moments to really matter. And I've conveyed it so many times to developers. It was like, how do you hone in and how do you get an audience to cheer for an individual besides just trying to highlight montages or moments or watch them from a streaming perspective? That's probably why Warzone um, is popping off finally again now because Call of Duty had a struggle finding its footing for the longest time because, you know, you would watch a creator where, you know, they would just decimate a lobby, but you didn't really care about who they were decimating. You just watched that one person. But now when you're in Warzone where you have everyone has one life, not to say, like, I know some people probably watch the podcast, like, I'm so tired of Battle Royales. It's like, it's like yes, but it's so easy to get the story across and, yeah. like, what a Battle Royale is. And you can really branch it off from there and kind of grow a game from that package. And it's why developers are all jumping in on it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. And the only thing I'd have is uh, there's some recent controversy compared to (laughs) about a certain item called the gold res shield. I was curious to see if you if you had a dog in this fight at all. You think it belongs in competitive or what? It's like when we had the golden armors, right? I was so glad, and this is where I can tell Apex is listening. Is like if you have the golden armors, you know statistically that a pathfinder is going to get it. They're going to queue away and get the bat off midair if they're if they're if they are technically and mechanically sound, right? Mm-hmm. It needed to get nerfed. It needed to get changed. That's why the grapple got changed. And while I think thirty-five seconds is a bit egregious, even <laughs> as I'm doing scrims, I don't see any lobas. The first week we were doing scrims, there was um, there was lobas everywhere, and everyone was testing it, and everyone was like. Gosh darn it, what are you doing? Just go back to Pathfinder. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Everyone <laughs> yeah. like abandoned her. So to answer your question with the gold res shield, is that really it 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 doesn't really have its place. It it does, but then it makes certain it kind of cheapens the uh the kills, you know, mm-hmm. where especially when you're at the last zone, you just see everyone dead, and then you're waiting for a golden res shield and somebody gets robbed of second place, but they mm-hmm. only got to second place because they were just sitting out there with a golden res shield. So yeah. I don't know if it necessarily has a place, um, you know, it's like I don't have like the highest tier of like, pr- you know, competitive experience in Apex, but I know enough based on what I see in scrims and just seeing, um, you know, what everyone does. Yeah, there is a particular moment in this last ALGS online tournament six, uh, the European scene, it was the end of game four, one of the members of Gambit uh, had won a clutch fight, it was the end game. And all three of the opposing team had gold res shields. They triple stacked inside of each other. And the Gambit member got killed, so he lost the placement point that he really earned. So, yeah, it's it's caused a lot of uh, argument in the community. A lot of people kind of want, want it out of, of just competitive. A lot of people think it should be left in. It's an interesting subject, but yeah. yeah. As long I'd... as they balance it. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. What? <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say I liked your point that they're listening, you know, yeah. that you had mentioned yeah. that. Definitely. Yeah, I was literally going to back up that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw, I think, a headline, something about uh, the devs pretty much saying that they're they're planning on changing the shield in some way. So I don't know what, but it's really nice to have uh, the devs so involved in it. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with yeah. us. This has been wonderful. I'm so grateful to, you know, for you to, to spend your time chatting with us. This is amazing insights. I'm sure our listeners yeah. and watchers are going to love it. Um, let us know where we can find you on Twitch, Twitter, whatever socials. I know you make YouTube videos somehow in your busy schedule. <laughs> you put that in as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I stream over on Twitch at uh, Daz, D-A-Z-S. If you, type up sore daz onto the youtube algorithm my videos will 
will be the first one that pop up. Or my Twitter handle is DazBF. Great. Thank you again so much. We really appreciate having you. Yeah, yeah of course. Thank, thank you so, so much. much, guys. Good luck in your uh, scrims today. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the we'll... duo took it. <laughs> no, I think they did. We placed top six in the first one. We were top eight in the second. I think they placed top nine. So that's oh, decent. Wow. You know, yeah. that's pretty good. That's not half bad. Getting there. Nice. <laughs> but thank you again, guys, for for the time. And I look forward to chatting with you guys soon. All right. Yeah, thank, thanks it. a lot. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much. We will be back next week for week five of season five and to talk about the next hunt. Uh, I am Eric. This is Whitney. Whitney, you want to do your plug? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitch. Uh, Lumbago. Bay, Bay is B-A-3-G-O. Um, and you can uh, also find me uh, streaming for the game or on Facebook. I do that every Friday and Sunday. I've been going live around 3, uh, sometime between 2 and 4 usually, but you'll see me. I'll be there. Are you still <laughs> playing Maneater? Uh, I finished Maneater, so I will oh, probably nice. not do another Maneater stream, but <laughs> it was very, very fun. What I did is I leveled up my character to, like, max what I could do, and then the rest of the game was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Andrew? Uh, Finn TTV, P-H-I-N-T-T-V, and I'm also streaming on the gamer. Usually Warzone, Valorant, Apex, you name it, I may stream it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week.